You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, and welcome to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and today I have the pleasure of focusing on a man who was a captain of industry here in Atlanta and throughout the country and the world, um, someone who was very well regarded. And there were lessons learned from working closely with this gentleman, and that gentleman is Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, and the gentleman who worked closely with Truett Cathy for a number of years as an attorney inside the organization is Perry McGuire. He's also the author of Nice But Not Naive and Other Lessons I Learned from Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy. Welcome to the Business Hour, Perry. Uh, Ron, good morning. Thank you for having me. Perry, uh, let's start by having you talk a little bit about um, what you did while you were at Chick-fil-A uh, and then maybe uh, segue into a uh, discussion of, of what you're now doing in your private practice. Oh, sure. Well, um, yeah, I started, and like most of us who worked at Chick-fil-A, you kind of had uh, dual roles. You uh, did the, the job centered around the business, but um, there were also um, the individual and family members uh, matters for the Kathy family. Um, Truett, of course, he had a lot of different involvement. So um, as a, a an attorney with the company, I started out um, actually doing real estate transactions, the mall leases, which were very popular um, for the business, in addition to ground leases, ground purchases, that sort of thing, gravitated into the corporate side and um, was a corporate attorney there for eight years before I left. And then um, during that time, of course, touched every part of the business, every single contract, every controversy, everything kind of came through our offices. Um, And then, of of course, that uh, many people know that I I actually left Chick-fil-A to further some political ambitions, which were not successful, and we won't get into those now, but um, so I'm now in private practice, although my wife is actually a Chick-fil-A franchisee, and so we are still um, part of that family, and it's been great to witness and see things from this side uh, of the business, Um, but uh, today I practice at Smith Campbell and Russell here in Atlanta, just celebrating our 125th year anniversary. Um, probably the second oldest law firm in Atlanta, and I'm um, on a corporate team, so I do um, franchising, of course, uh, which comes easy to me, uh, mergers and acquisitions, you know, general corporate work, and um, just a, a small bit of lobbying, um, which kind of reflects my time in the state legislature. Um, well, that's 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 a lot of ground to, to cover there uh, in a couple of sentences, Barry. I, w- I want to go back. Um, this is um, somewhat uh, tangentially related to uh, the, the bigger picture that we're talking about, but it's a specific area that you just mentioned, and that was uh, real estate uh, in working with uh, the Chick-fil-A organization. And a lot of people um, outside the business world, and certainly people not familiar with franchise operations, uh, have no idea how much real estate uh, comes into uh, the operation 
of an organization that has so many locations as Chick-fil-A does. So you must be a real expert in that area uh, related to franchise operations and real estate. Would that be fair to say? Well, uh, I do not practice as much real estate now as I used to. I can um, work my way around it. But to your point about real estate for Chick-fil-A, you know, many people say that you know they're more of a real estate company than a restaurant company because they own so much real estate. And, of course, their preference um, is to um, own it when they can. Uh, you not always can do that. You sometimes have to lease it. Um, but, they, you know, the way that they're structured, they own um, you know, the real estate um, and the buildings and, and lease those to their franchisees. And I'm, I'm not sharing anything that's not public knowledge. Um, and, of course, many people know it was um, some fanfare was made a few years ago um, when the company announced that it was debt-free. So um, owning real estate outright is um, a very valuable asset. And so yeah, they've been very wise in that regard. And that was one of Truett's, you know, um, kind of goals from the time he started the business. I mean, he aspired from the very beginning to someday be debt-free. And I think everyone was glad to see that come to fruition before he passed away. And, and he was certainly proud of that. Um, uh, so, but yes, they're a very big, um, very big real estate company. Um, for Definitely. Yeah, I didn't mean to uh, imply that you're uh, currently uh, engaged in much of uh, a, a real estate uh, dimension with your current clients, but rather it's something that you were so immersed in for a while that it's almost as if you have a separate degree in corporate franchising and real estate. <laughs> yeah, they, they're definitely two different disciplines, and I had the benefit um, – I think it's one of the benefits of working for a company in-house, as in-house counsel. You get to touch a lot of different areas of law, and you get to learn um, many different areas and um, become more expert at some than others. But uh, those are two areas that um, I felt very comfortable in, for sure. Let's, uh, uh, before we, we drill down into your book, Nice But Not Naive, and other lessons I learned from Chick-fil-A founder Truth, uh, Truett Cathy, and, 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 and uh, we'll probably uh, make references to both Mr. Cathy and to Truett, which, as you point out in the book, is, is what he liked to be called because he was a, a man who was, <clears throat> in many ways, very down-to-earth. But, but, but before we drill down into any of the chapters, any of the specifics, Tell us why you chose to write a book that shared those lessons that you learned. Sure. So um, it was actually at uh, Truett's um, funeral, uh, the, the, the night before his uh, funeral at the, the family reception at First Baptist uh, Jonesboro, um, where I, I, was, I spoke with Dan Cathy, um, of course, Truett's son and current chairman, uh, CEO of the of the company, um, and the way they had it laid out, it was just so well done. You know, they had instead of all the family being like in a, a receiving line, they had the family spread out all over this giant atrium of the church, and so um, it was you know set up so that you could go visit different members of the the family and share your condolences. And as I was talking to to Dan, just mentioned to him, you know, just um, how much I learned 
from his dad, just life lessons, really, from being in his presence. And then just mentioned that I should write them down. Why don't you write them down? And, you know, my initial thinking and what he probably thought is, you know, maybe send him a letter with, here's some of the things I learned. And um, But uh, a few months after that, um, my children's school has a leadership academy, and they invite <clears throat> different people to come in and speak. And I was invited to speak to the class and I just thought well you know I'm going to this would be a great chance to share those lessons learned so I entitled my little talk you know lessons I learned from Truett Cathy and that outline that I used for that talk actually became pretty much the outline for the book um, and over the course of um, a, a few years um, you know trying to of course keep my law practice um, going uh, I and through fits and starts you know wrote the um, wrote the book but felt like it was something important to to share um, and uh, you know because I think so many people um, are are challenged with making you know choices decisions especially in business whether they're doing the right thing and you know part of the purpose was just to give people an affirming um, encouragement that they're probably doing things the right way. You know, if you're guided by common sense and, you know, by a sense of doing um, what's best for your business and for others, then, um, you know, there's there's no secret formula or sauce out there that is, um, that works, you know, uh, better than just trying to do the right thing for the right reasons. And along with characterizing some of the uh, very specific lessons you learn and, and sort of your general uh, impressions of the man, I, I, I guess you could say that in some sense this is like a, a love letter to Truett Cathy in the form of a book that you shared with Dan Cathy rather than that shorter letter that he, he might have been uh, suggesting that you write. Would that be a fair characterization? Well, there's no doubt that, um, you know, it was a, um, a labor of love um, and, um, and the opportunity to, to honor Truett, um, you know, because I, I think that while a lot has been written, um, you know, he wrote his own books and there have been articles and things, you know, there haven't been very much written from kind of the third-party perspective of someone who got to just sort of sit in the room and watch him interact and watch the way he conducted himself with other people, with employees and business and negotiations, with um, rich people, poor people, uh, you know, everybody in in his life. Um, and so I feel like that's a perspective that has not been given, and I just wanted to, to share that, that the man that people read about perhaps um, was authentic in every area of his life. Well, you mentioned the way that he conducted himself, and we're going to be making a lot of references to the way that he conducted himself, and that's what you characterize throughout uh, your book. And I I want to um, read a quote that's actually on the cover of your book, um, written by Dan Cathy, the current chairman and CEO of Chick-fil-A. He wrote, if you ever wanted a deeper look into the business sense of my dad, this is the book, full of great stories and keen business insight 
nice but not naive, will delight and inspire you. And I might add that I was delighted and inspired by uh, many of the the stories that that you tell uh, in the book. And we're going to be taking a break, but when we come back, uh, speaking of the way that he conducted himself, uh, he was a man of uh, many uh, principles uh, that he held dearly, and uh, much of it has to do with an ethical, the ethical practice uh, of business. And in fact, he was invited uh, to testify uh, before a congressional uh, committee. And when we come back, I'm going to have you share with us uh, what he was doing uh, when he was uh, meeting with this uh, in this congressional hearing. We're here with Perry McGuire. Uh, we're talking about Truett Cathy and getting an insider view of the Chick-fil-A organization and the way that Truett Cathy uh, conducted himself uh, to create a very, very successful corporation. We'll be back with Perry right after this break. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Perry McGuire, the author of Nice But Not Naive, and other lessons I learned from Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy. And, Perry, I want to set the tone somewhat uh, as you described to us uh, what he was doing in Washington, D.C. some years back. Uh, there was a quote uh, from Truett Cathy uh, that you have in the book, and that quote was, I see no conflict between good business practices and biblical principles. And you can tell us uh, what bearing that has on the nature of his 
testimony before this congressional um, subcommittee uh, on ethics and why he was invited to come and talk to them um, some years back. Sure. Well, this was uh, back in 2002, sort of uh, in the wake of the Enron scandal, which many people remember where the company was sort of self-trading and shorting its own um, shares and other things, uh, just engaging in some probably some unethical business practices um, at several different levels. And um, so the uh, Congress panel decided to have a discussion about and hear testimony about, you know, ethical business practices, and Truett was invited to come and share his thoughts. Um, You know, I included the full um, testimony as an appendix of my book, and and, and so much like Truett, uh, you know, we had the the prepared testimony, and then we had his actual words, which I included both of them, and so he um, editorialized quite quite a bit. But one of the things that that he said was, um, you know, that and, and he said this often that he saw no conflict between good business practices and biblical principles. And I think that, you know, his his goal that day was just to share that you know you can um, live by the golden rule and be successful. Uh, that you can treat people fairly and do right by your vendors and employees, etc. And, and be successful, that there was no need to, to cut corners. You know, in his speeches, many times he would refer to a, a book um, entitled All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, you know, and it was all about the simple, you know, common sense ways that you you treat people. And so Truett, um, I think, just uh, embodied, you know, the, um, the ethical business um, outlook and, and persona um, that many people attribute to him. Um, you know, he was um, never in a rush to uh, to try to um, um, grow his business. Uh, you know, he always said we're going to get better before we get bigger. Um, you know, and, and therefore they focused on doing things the right way versus, uh, you know, a pure profit motive. He was not a public company, of course, so he was not worried about share prices and stock values and that sort of thing. But um, but the but the opportunity to speak to Congress, I thought, was he held as a really high honor and privilege. Um, and, of course, as I mentioned in the book, you know, he was, you know, treated kind of like a rock star up there um, with all the pictures, autographs. People, of course, knew him, admired him. Um, many people who were not part of the committee came in just to say hello to him, many congressmen um, and senators. So um, I, I think that, you know, it was just a reflection of his reputation and, um, you know, the way that he worked very hard to to protect that um, and, and guard it. And I think that those types of uh, instances are just manifestations of, of, uh, of his reputation. Well, and I failed to mention, Perry, that, that this is uh, part of Chapter 1 and that the title of that chapter is Get Better Before Getting Bigger. And uh, the significance of that, that uh, title is that it characterized that same sense of 
commitment to quality and to quality operations and to ethics and uh, uh, wanting to be good and 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 to be good before you grow rather than uh, pursuing growth for the sake of, of, of growth. And um, that he, I, I think the golden rule comes to, into play here. Uh, Truett believed in being good to the people around him, all the people, high and low. And uh, as we go through uh, some of the other chapters in your book, I, I'm sure our listeners will, will, will hear uh, uh, very much that dimension uh, of of Truett Cathy. In, in fact, he was very committed to uh, the community uh, as well as loyalty to customers and to his employees, uh, which has n- nothing to do with commerce. Tell us a little bit about that commitment to community. Sure. Well, you know, I, I say in the book that we will never know the extent of his true generosity because he did so much in private. He did so much on his own. Um, I had the opportunity to be a part of a a good deal of it, but I know that I was not part of of all of it. And um, in some of the larger acts of generosity we see through the Windshape Foundation, the Chick-fil-A Foundation that exists today that gives away, of course, millions of dollars um, in, in different you know, to, to different organizations, the the camp Windshape that is run for kids uh, at Barry College uh, at the Windshape campus up there. Um, you know, many people don't know that there's a Windshape you know marriage retreat at Barry College as well that you can go um, uh, to. And then there's the foster care program, which um, I had the chance to work pretty closely with. Um, you had. Um, uh, 11 foster homes and each housed into 12 kids had full-time parents you, you know um, and it would pay for whatever that the child needed you know grew up they tried to make it as much like a family environment as possible uh, and of course you know would pay for their college um, it, when they graduated and uh, at the time I left I believe we had a 100% graduation rate and 100% college attendance rate um and so it's just uh you know taking kids who are victims of circumstance and giving them the opportunity to to really kind of blossom but um but there were also just other just small things paying for um needs of families you know that he came in contact with um and so uh, again we'll we'll never really know the extent of it but Needless to say, um, you know, he's one of the real reasons why you know it's so valuable to have owners of businesses in your communities. Um, uh, you know, I am all for job creation and all for business expansion, but when you have a a business owner in your community, they have the resources to do so much. You know, they're the ones who build performing arts centers and build hospitals and just add tremendously to communities and um he uh was one of those in his own right you you <clears throat> or at least i get the distinct sense that uh, through the decades uh Truett kathy um focused on on you can characterize it in many different ways but uh at-risk youth disadvantaged youth not just impoverished youth but 
but uh, children, for one reason or another, maybe they were orphaned um, or grew up with just some obstacles in their life, and he really wanted to uh, lend a helping hand. And I would imagine that outside the uh, Winship organizations, he did a lot of things very informally that fell well below the radar, as, as you're suggesting, uh, to the tune of thousands and and perhaps uh, hundreds of thousands or millions, uh, you know, that weren't tax-deductible contributions to help people out. Uh, he was just a man with a big heart. Yes, uh, there's, there's no doubt. Um, he, I don't think he looked at things from a tax deductibility standpoint. So, um, you know, his uh, the, the finance guys may have you know, thought uh, that he should have taken more advantage of that. But I don't, again, that was not his mindset. That was not his thinking. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was just, uh, and then I think he never took his um, his wealth for for granted and never uh, clung onto it so tightly in a way that he you know people would think he or he could lose it i mean i think he lived his life in a way that each day was kind of a blessing i've got a you know today i've got resources to to share and to benefit someone and i'm going to do it um and um and that's just i think the way he he operated. He he did not hoard. He did, you know, was not greedy. As I say in the book, you know, he he lived in the same '60s style ranch house that um, he built. Uh, I guess in the in the late '50s, early early '60s, uh, when he died. I mean, it had a carport. It did not have a garage. And you know, when people would go to his house, they would wonder, well, is this is this yours? You know, is this your your groundskeeper's house or what you know where's the house and um you know that just was not who he was now i will tell you if you went to his his house and you went to the the barns um behind his house uh, he had several large metal um barns which were insulated air conditioned um nicely appointed which housed his car collection um, that was his one um, hobby that he indulged in, I, I think, was car collecting. And if anyone ever saw his his car collection, it was very impressive. Um, cars that were all in mint condition, drivable, and some of them I'd never seen before. So that was the one thing that he enjoyed doing. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and no... It, you know, I don't think anybody can criticize him for having that sort of uh, indulgence. That one um, indulgence. So, yeah. <laughs> um, we're going to be taking a break, uh, Perry. We're here with Perry McGuire, author of Nice But Na- Not Naive and Other Lessons I Learned from Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes to hear more from Perry McGuire. Happy Oregon homeownership is the result of a good working relationship between the home buyer and their realtor. Make buying your Oregon home a fun and rewarding experience. Get our free guide to happy Oregon homeownership. Act now. Limited availability. Free at realoregonhomes.com. That's realoregonhomes.com. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules 
or if you marry a foreign national. Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and we're here with Perry McGuire, the author of Nice But Not Naive, and other lessons I learned from Chick-fil-A founder Chuat Cathy. And before the break, we were talking about the generosity of the man and, and, and what a big heart uh, he had and how he had few indulgences. But one indulgence was that he had a, a great car collection. And, and Perry, if we uh, didn't have to take a break, I was going to ask you uh, if you knew uh, what, what, what has happened with that car collection. You know, I don't. I'm, I'm assuming that the family has um, uh, maintained maintained it. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure what what uh, what's become of it. But um, my my guess is at this point they are probably maintaining it, perhaps with the thoughts of creating a museum um, in honor of Truett. I, I'm just not I'm not sure, and haven't been part of any of those conversations. Well, if it's uh, not uh, designated, if they are not designated to be part of a museum, I would like to think that maybe there are some family members driving around in some pretty nice cars. Um, You know, there are some very specific things that you uh, talk about, again, uh, throughout the book. uh, But, uh, and and, you know, I I hate to, to dwell on chapter one, but it sets up the book and one of the larger lessons that we've uh, hinted at is that Truett Cathy believed that getting better is a journey and not a destination. And would you tell us about that? Yeah, and I'm I'm sure that anybody in business can relate to this. Um, You know, many people think that, okay, I'm going to set these processes in place. I'm going to hire these people. I'm going to create these job descriptions and, um, you know, create a, a manufacturing line or a retail line. Or, um, and once I get it going and once it is a well-oiled machine, it will continue to operate, you know, as, uh, as intended. And the reality is, is that it only takes um, very little time of, uh, of 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 looking away or negligence or um, just um, you know not attending to the business for the wheels to come off and that getting better um, there's always room for improvement there's always um, need for supervision and if you know because we hear all the time um, about you know. Chick-fil-A and people talk about how consistent it is, how, you know, how great the service is, how, you know, how do you get teenagers to say my pleasure and to be so polite and, um, you know, as if, you know, it was a, you know, uh, we, we, we started, we trained them and, and then set them free and that's just not the way it happens. It is a everyday, day-to-day, hour-by-hour 
um, effort to keep people at the top of their game, to keep operations at the top of their game. Um, and so, uh, you know, getting better, I, I think, is really, there is no real destination. And, you know, you know, my guess is, is you know, Chick-fil-A continues to look for ways to improve um, their experience. There are competitors out there working to figure out a way to make it even better. Um, and so there, uh, you know, there's no destination. You know, excellence is just something that has to be practiced every day. It is not something that you can rest your laurels on. And I think Chick-fil-A really gets that because of the, if you know, if people realize the investment they make into those employees. Um, it is, you know, they understand that they have got to, you know, prepare them before they meet the public, before they meet the customer, and they make a huge investment in training those. And that's why it's, it's really been interesting because, um, you know, I mentioned my wife is a franchisee, and um, she has kids coming back to her from from college and who've gone on to work and. You know, they talk about how when they go to apply for jobs, you know, one of the things that employers mention is their time with Chick-fil-A and how it's become kind of that Eagle Scout designation, you know, where if you've gone through their process, not only getting hired, but the, the, the training on just how to treat people and how to treat customers, you know, you've got really kind of a leg up on the competition in the in the working world, and I think that again is another testament to their you know continued desire to you know um, to achieve excellence, and and they'll be the first ones to tell you that I believe that you know they're they would probably say they're not there yet. Um, they are always looking to improve, and I and I believe that's the mindset that every business owner has to have um, to is to is to continue to to seek excellence and not think you've ever really arrived. And I might uh, I might add, uh, Perry, that uh, along with having the best darn chicken sandwich in the universe, yeah. that uh, the quality of the people at Chick Fil A is is really uh, quite remarkable. Uh, when you talk about sixteen uh, year olds saying "my pleasure," uh, you know how do you get sixteen year olds to uh, appear genuine? When they say "my pleasure," how do you you get them to have a genuine self uh, sense of of, of service? Uh, that's what seems to have been imparted from the top uh, down through the organization and continues. Um, and then when we talk about um, lessons to be learned, every uh, prospective entrepreneur or current entrepreneur uh, could really benefit from understanding that. You, you shouldn't put the cart before the horse. You know, make sure that the cart is in perfect working order and that the horse is also uh, uh, performing before you try to, you know, move ahead. Uh, and that's, uh, that's, that's a, 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 a constant thread throughout your book. In, in, in Chapter 2, and, you know, and I'm sorry to say that, you know, we're not going to touch on all these uh, chapters in the book. We're going to have to have you come back. But... Chapter two, which is entitled, uh, and it's a, a repeat of the the uh, the book's title, "Be Nice but Not Naive." Uh, tell us uh, what that means, Perry. Sure. Well, um, you know, when I was working on the, the the first outline, you know, thinking about the lessons that I learned. 
from Truett and just, you know, really my observations of him, one of the things that popped into my mind is that, you know, he was he was always nice. I mean, he was nice and cordial to everyone. And, you know, even in, you know, in dealing with people who were not being nice to him, you know, whether it was a business transaction or, um, you know, some, some other contentious um, interaction, he was always a gentleman. And he was always nice, and he, you know, he he did not lose his temper. He did not use language, you know, that he would not use in his Sunday school class. Um, he, uh, you know, never lowered himself to the level of anyone that may have um, tried to get him to. Um, but in being nice, though, he was not naive. He knew and understood, I think, when people were trying to take advantage of him. He knew and understood um, when when people uh, may not have been telling him the entire truth. He knew um, kind of the intentions of the other party based on the circumstances um, that they were in uh, together. And so, um, you know, I just think that... That was what stuck with me, is that he was a very nice guy, but for people to assume that because he was nice, genteel, gentlemanly, that he was naive was not the case. He was one of the, um, you know, he would even say himself, it was not book smarts, it was um, it was common sense and uh, just understanding, you know, the difference between right and wrong and understanding you know that you don't move quickly through difficult decisions he totally understood the difference between wants and needs and urgency and non-urgency um so you know you, nobody was going to get something over on him um he was incredibly smart intuitive and um you know he he may have he kept his speech simple and he kept uh, you know his interactions um, simple but he could digest and um, discern the most complicated you know business transactions uh, out there so he um, uh, I think unique from that standpoint he, he never tried to be overbearing um, or to force his will on, on people um, you know to reach a you know some sort of benefit for himself. Well, I'm going to uh, paraphrase a, uh, a saying that I think is is, is appropriate to Truett Cathy, and that was that he was polite like a fox. Mm. Yeah, but it was it was not something that was w- was forced or something that he created in order to create an advantage for himself. It was he was genuinely nice, um, and he you know, but I think the, the the fox part may have come from the fact that he grew up in a very tough era where, you know, um, you had to rely on your wits to a certain extent to do well. I mean, you know, people know that he you know, would buy and sell Cokes. He would buy Cokes and, and resell them from his wagon. He sold newspapers. So, um, you know, he he was in touch with the value of hard work, the, the value of a dollar, um, you know, even though he was incredibly generous, he did not waste money. Um, 
you know, I share that he always knew the price of gasoline, and he knew where to get the, the cheapest gasoline. Um, he, so he was um, always uh, in tune with with his surroundings. Okay, then I'm going to amend that to be genuinely polite, like a good-hearted fox. <laughs> there we go. Um, that's, that's, that's good. Um, so... Um, savvy in, 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 in business negotiations and this is something uh, where you worked with him hand in hand on on many negotiations but tell us about the statement uh, that he uh, uh, made and that is your leverage in any negotiation is directly proportional to your ability to walk away yeah it's um, you know that is the measure I use today in, in any negotiation for my clients, and and that's one of the questions I, I ask them: is where where does this deal, where does this you know product service um, you know fall in to your your business, and what are your alternatives, and you know um, what kind of process have you gone through to identify um, different sources to meet the, the, the same or similar need because once we get into this um, you know we need to make sure that we keep our options open until the very end and many people don't do that they go they get courted they may get bids prices and they you know they make a deal before they get the contract and you know um, they think that because they may have agreed on price that it's over and usually agreeing on price and quantity is just the beginning you know um and you've got to work through all sorts of different issues that are going to impact that that pricing are going to impact your cost going to impact the ability of you to fulfill the contract and so um you know uh, it's important that business people have all of the facts and have everything in front of them to be able to compare their providers and if you have limited providers and you have a true need then that limits your ability to walk away from uh, from them or from one of the others as long as you have options that you can walk away from then you have leverage and so um, um, you know I, I just think that it's important that you um, are always looking through and viewing through the lens of where does this fall in my business? How important is it? And can we walk away? And, and that that was uh, within the larger context of, of being fair. And, and, and you certainly point out uh, throughout the book that he had this uh, tremendous sense of, of fairness. We're, we're going to be taking a ga- uh, break again, Perry, here. And when we come back, uh, we're going to have Perry McGuire uh, tell us about uh, some of the other lessons learned. I think we'll start off with uh, another uh, sort of um, uh, more um, hardcore approach to business, and that's uh, I'm Sorry, Wears Out. Uh, We'll talk about that right after the break. Happy Oregon homeownership is the result of a good working relationship between the home buyer and their realtor. Make buying your Oregon home a fun and rewarding experience. Get our free guide to Happy Oregon homeownership. Act now. Limited availability. Free at realoregonhomes.com. That's realoregonhomes.com. 
Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around town movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, around town movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's around town movers. Call them. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Perry McGuire, attorney and author of Nice But Not Naive and Other Lessons I Learned from Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy. And and, um, Perry, I've never uh, read the chapters in a book, but because we're not going to be able to touch on all the different chapters... And, uh, you know, I, I'm not here. Uh, I've never uh, hosted the program with the intent of uh, helping um, or at least focusing on helping uh, guests to sell their books. But uh, I think that some of these chapter titles will pique the interest of some of the listeners because you have gems of wisdom that you're sharing uh, and really great anecdotes uh and so we, we, we already talked about uh, get better before getting bigger, be nice but not naive. Uh, we're going to touch on I'm sorry, wears out. Uh, chapter four, no mountain is too high. Five, always do what is right for the business. Chapter six, protect and defend your good name. Chapter seven, lessons about character. Chapter eight, it's all about service. Chapter nine, leverage your strengths. Chapter 10, Choose Your Friends Wisely. Chapter 11, Build Political Goodwill. Chapter 12, Would Anyone Take a Bullet for You? Chapter 13, Take Your Job Very Seriously, But Do Not Take Yourself Too Seriously. Uh, And Chapter 14, Live Life in Reverse. And because we can't touch on all of those, um, uh, you know, I I, want to say uh, those are all aptly named uh, uh, chapter titles, uh, and that uh, if we did pique a listener's interest, uh, they could uh, get a copy of Nice But Not Naive and Other Lessons I Learned from Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy. Founder Truett Cathy. Uh, uh, you can go on Amazon. Is that right, Perry? Yes. Yeah, it's available at uh, Amazon.com. And, and soft cover, hard cover, and the uh, e-book. Okay, and, and I, I might add that it's also a pretty quick, quick read. I mean, you might want to dwell on the, on the lessons or the anecdotes, but it's at 30, uh, 139 pages, uh, it's, a, it's a fairly quick read. So, you know, if you don't want to be um, bogged down in one of those boring uh, uh, business philosophy uh, 
uh, in somewhat autobiographical um, uh, books, your your book uh, is not. It's uh, it's not boring. It's well, very. I appreciate that. It's you know, and it's one of those things that's so interesting too. There's a whole industry around business book writing, and I was approached by some of those groups, and you know, they wanted to get to forty thousand words, and I was like, I don't, I don't think I have forty thousand words. You know, here is what I've written, and um, and so it is a concise. Um, book it is a short read and um and i wrote it word word for word so it's um I, I try to tell people there's not a lot of fluff in it yeah there are a lot of uh feature-length movies that should have been a 30-minute segment uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um okay before the break we mentioned and and again we're not going to get into all the chapters but uh, chapter three which is entitled i'm sorry wears out it, it, it characterizes you know part of the man that 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 had limits uh, to uh, what he might tolerate in the way of people um, saying "I'm sorry" one times too many. Tell us what "I'm sorry" wears out means. Yes, um, that that is right, and it, it's um, one of those things where I, I can tell you the truth: it never gave up on anybody. It was I don't think it was a matter of him even becoming you know too. Exasperated. I think it was more of a person, the another person, not taking either their their job um, seriously. Um, unfortunately, not being able to grasp um, you know the requirements of of what was required of them um, after um, multiple opportunities. Um, you know, which were usually always. Fo- you know, followed by "I'm sorry," you know, and and this is true in business and in life, um, and um, and you know the example I use in the book of, of one of the the children that he tried to help who just you know was not very responsible, and that's where actually where I, I got that 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 phrase from was um, I heard Truett actually use those words, and it just stuck with me um, forever. I mean, he he I never heard him say it in business. Um, but it was it's kind of the result of giving someone um, you know many opportunities to meet um, expectations um, and uh, you know if someone is saying I'm sorry all the time and apologizing well at some point um, you know the, the more they they say it the less compelling and believable it is um, so it wasn't meant to you know, be any sort of uh, of negative um, around to it, but I think that again, you know, part of the purpose of this book is to give people kind of affirmation that they're doing things the right way and they're doing the right things. And I think people in business and who interact with um, with others on a daily basis know that there is that out there. Um, you know, I think that there's a whole there was at one time a business mantra of you know hire slow fire fast and I think you know true it was a hire slow fire slow person um, he wanted to you know if you hire the right people and you hire them for the right reasons then you know they can learn just about anything and it really takes some effort almost um, to not be able to grasp the situation you know sometimes it's a character issue sometimes it's things that cannot necessarily be trained or changed um, and you know, and at some point, apologizing just is not going to be a satisfactory answer. 
Um, but uh, I, can, I can tell you that that you know, Truett gave everybody the, the benefit of the doubt, and um, in, in you know to to reach that point where there had to be a separation was usually a, a very serious matter, and, and nobody took it lightly. You know, he also believed in honesty and, uh, you know, uh, believed in saying what you mean and meaning what you say. Uh, and uh, he held to his principles such that uh, he felt like he wanted to run his business uh, six days a week. He, uh, he didn't uh, have the stores uh, open, uh, n- you know, throughout uh, the the network of stores they were uh, closed on on Sundays, and uh, in fact he uh, in conjunction with that he went to um, uh, he achieved uh, with the Department of Transportation uh, because there was a, uh, a a law prohibiting the posting of uh, food establishments on the highway that were not open seven days a week but he got them to change that uh, which was uh, comes into play under the uh, section on political goodwill, but he got them to change that uh, so that uh, uh, Chick-fil-A's, uh, fortunately, are posted along uh, the state highway system or the national highway system. Uh, tell us a, a, a little bit about uh, uh, why he uh, believed in operating six days a week. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he, he says so in his first book that he he was tired um and he needed rest and he wanted an opportunity to um um you know attend his 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 church and have a day off and you know i think that's really part of the magic of the brand in chick-fil-a i can tell you my wife as a chick-fil-a franchisee um she lives for sundays i mean you know it is um it makes it so attractive to employees who know that they were going to have that one day off that they can plan on and and not have to work um you know it it, it just is a time for a rejuvenation um in whatever way a person or individual may may find that um you know for him it was um a, a, again a, a day to honor um his his faith and to be with his family but um you know, he, he tells it very funnily that he was just, he was tired after working six days. So, um, you know, and it, I think, creates a certain appeal. And it's so funny to hear people talk about, you know, Chick-fil-A, if they were only open on Sundays, could make a ton more money. And, and I just think that that is not not the case at all. I think actually it would probably have the opposite effect. Um, we know that, you know, Chick-fil-A just within the last few years surpassed every other chain um, you know, on the face of the earth in terms of unit volume. So they're already making more than anybody else who's open, you know, seven days a week, 24 hours a day in some cases. So um, it, it is part of, uh, you know, the magic of the brand. It, it doesn't hurt to have the best tasting chicken sandwich in the universe uh, as well, uh, wouldn't you say? Uh, true, that's true. <laughs> now, um I'm going to jump right to Chapter 14 entitled Live Life in Reserve. And you say that one of the, the best lessons you learned from Truett Cathy was that you should focus on the right things and success will follow. And actually, you then follow that with with a mention that success is different for, for all of us. And I think those two kind of go hand in hand. You, you have to 
make a determination of what success means to you and then do the right things uh, that would would allow uh, yourself uh, to be successful. Uh, do you want to comment on that, Perry? Yeah, just only, I mean, that's an, it's an odd title. It's the one I, people ask about, I think, the most. And um, it's, uh, I think it's a little different, of course, because it is um, kind of goes against the grain of what we are, what we learn in law school and business school and um, other places in life that we have to hit the ground running and, um, you know, reach for the stars right out of the gate. Um, and, you know, in some cases that means sacrificing, you know, personal um, um, personal and life and family matters. And, and I, the, the whole point of that chapter is, you know, Truett didn't start Chick-fil-A until his mid-40s. Um, and before that time, he was working, raising his family, doing you know, really had his priorities um, kind of lined up that way. And as a result, um, <coughs> excuse me, not only was he successful in business, but his family, if you met any of the kids, I mean, um, incredibly down-to-earth people. And, um, and I, just, I just think that he focused on what was most important. And I think many times today you you hear all the time of people who may be successful in business but they've been divorced five times or they don't know their children or um you know they're becoming alcoholic or whatever and it's just like you know it's not real rocket science that if you're spending your days or your nights you know with your family and changing diapers and raising kids and um you know on family vacations then when as they get older you know um that family, you know, that family is going to stay intact, probably, and that um, you won't have regrets about the way that you spent your time. And and working hard, there's always time for that, um, and there's always a time for that. And um, so, you know, I don't. Again, I, I try to be sensitive and not mean that it's one size fits all. For some people, it will be different, but um, but think about that. And I say, look at your, you know, what future do you want for yourself what future what what do you want people to write about you what do you want to write about yourself you know 10 years from now what do you want your story to be of the past 10 years and so that's really the point not trying to be judgmental again but people we all need to sit down okay and see what that what what we want that for ourselves what that looks like for ourselves and it may may be success is that chapter well, well Perry, so I- be it that's great but um, just make sure there's no collateral damage when 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 you when you do that. Perry, I I want to thank you so much. We've we've run over time actually, um, and thank you for uh, sharing these uh, wonderful lessons. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.